The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Tonight, where are the areas where uh, where the the absolute worst in me comes out? Two things I'll tell you. One I'll expand on. Um, The first is card games. Okay, Uh, my family. There's a lot of these. A lot of families that you grow up. You go on vacation or you go on road trips or on planes and you play card games, right? My family, for whatever reason, was not one of those families. And so now I have this massive insecurity when it comes to playing card games that when I lose, like, I am, I'm such a jerk. And I, I hate myself when I do that, but I can't help it. The other area, and my guess is that there might be others in the room that share this, is in traffic. Okay, there's, there's, there's nothing that, that consistently brings out the worst in me than, than, you know, kind of what I, I think is kind of a garden variety, kind of a mild mannered road rage, but it's still there. Definitely. This weekend we were headed up to uh, Whistler, Canada. And at this one part, we're still on this side of the border. I had one of those, one of those cars behind me that has the, the light design that makes it look like it's kind of a face with eyebrows that's kind of angry. And, you know, kind of got up close to me, then fires around me or whatever. And I speed up. And, and my wife just goes, oh my gosh. And I'm, and you know, and, and I'm thinking about ways to defend myself and going, I, I don't want the, I don't want the kids to think that, that I'm a wuss or something like that. And Julie's just like, are you kidding me? Next. You know, especially if I get cut off by somebody that has like, uh, a window sticker that is like Oregon or Wazoo, something like that. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh man, the things that I would love to be able to say to that person, not that they'd be able to understand me, but, you know, uh, it, no doubt that when I'm in that, in that place, when I'm in my mild road rage, my, and I'm not proud of this, by the way. This is me confessing sin to you, okay? I'm not proud of this. That when I'm in that place, what's, what's coming out of me? There's a sense of, it's about this guy right here. It's about number one, don't get in my way. Don't cramp my style, okay? Don't you know who I am and how important my time is? Okay, and really, I wish that I could say that, that these were really, that card games and traffic were the only two places in my life where that plays out. And the reality is that there are a lot of places, in some cases perhaps very obvious in, in big things, and other ways, and probably in far more ways, where it's subtle, where that mentality is still there. And that's what I want to uh, lean into as we continue a series tonight, that we are, are doing uh, this January and into next month through Romans 12, where we are really asking the, uh, the question of what does it mean to have a real faith? And in essence, Paul is encouraging this group to say, hey, respond to God's grace and mercy in your life. Why? Because you need it for you to make, to make this thing, this, this thing that could often become a good idea, be real in your own life. And not to mention the world needs to know it as well. 
The world needs grace and mercy, and we get to be dispensers of that. Now, for those of you that were here last week, we got to hear from a a great guy, Ken Anon, who works with Haiti Partners um, and has spent time in the Balkans working with refugees. He spent time uh, in Haiti uh, working with with, uh, the very poor and marginalized there. And he he had five things that he gave us in view of God's mercy. He talked about attention, confession, honoring, partnering, and truthing. And what I want to talk about tonight, I think really, it kind of touches on all those things, but if anything, it, it really hones in on those first two, attention and confession. Because what we want to do uh, tonight is to lean into uh, Romans 12, verse 3 which ultimately is a passage that I think calls us as people who follow Jesus, as people who are asking this question, who is God? Who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him with my life? It calls us to this thing that we call humility. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, so let's get started. Let's, um, let's look at the first three verses of Romans 12, and we're just going to hone in on the last one. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, I highlight, I urge you. Remember, this is something Paul desperately wants for this community to do. He wants this for them. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the, and this is what we're going to look at tonight. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, as we continue to look on our emphasis at the third verse, I'll first point out that last line, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, I want to highlight that before I start talking, because as we start talking practically about what it means to put these things into play, I want to start by highlighting that God goes before us. It is God that distributes this, that God that who, who works first. Before we ever do anything, God works. So to the degree that we might be sitting here going, what must I do to be good enough, to be smart enough, to earn God's love? That's already happened, okay? That this, this love, this faith has been distributed to you. Now, I want to point out that in is Paul is writing Romans. He's writing to this group, uh, this, this young church, because they were all young churches in the first century, in Rome. And the big angst of that day in the first century was this, am I in? Am I okay? You see, there were a lot of different, there were, there were new Christians from a lot of different backgrounds Some of them had a Jewish background. Some of them had a Gentile background. Some of them had been Christians for for even decades. Some of them were brand new. But they they were trying to go, hey, wait a minute. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And am I in? How do I know I'm in? Have I done enough? Am I part of the group that's okay? Now, perhaps that sounds a little bit familiar. 
It seems that as I talk with students and I get to hear a little bit about your lives, whether we are talking about academic programs that you're getting, that you are applying for, whether it's talking about living with certain groups or maybe jobs that you're applying for, there is a prevailing angst that asks the question, am I good enough? Do I somehow measure up? What do I need to do as I look in the mirror to to make sure that I make the cut, that I hit the mark? I think it's a really similar type of angst in the first century that Paul is speaking into that we experience in our context now. Now, to lean into talking about humility which is really what I think Paul defined there in Romans 12, verse 3. Think of yourself not highly than others, but with sober judgment. Okay, I think that's a great definition of humility. Now, sometimes to understand the positive of what something means, we have to first look at the negative. So what's the antithesis of humility? think to me that the, the most obvious answer would be arrogance. But I think probably the, the, the way to talk about it, if we are going to ask what does the Bible say, it would be pride. Now, what is pride? It's not thinking too highly about yourself, but rather it's thinking too much about yourself. Okay, Arrogance would be thinking too highly of yourself. Okay, I like this idea of pride not merely being confined to thinking too highly of ourselves, dare I say inaccurate of ourselves. My guess is that we've all interacted with people that we have found to be profoundly arrogant, and the thing that irritates us about them is, is we go, wow, they're, they're essentially not as great as they make themselves out to be. Okay, it's an irritating thing. I know I've done it in my life. Again, things that I'm not proud of. Okay, Um, but pride, what if it's thinking too much about ourselves? Now, that leads us into something that pride is very, very close to. Uh, We hear it another place in scripture that pride comes before the fall. And so when we talk about pride, we talk about sin. Now, what is sin? There's a lot of different ways that people talk about sin and a lot of different ways it's pretty accurate. The way that I would, what I would give to you tonight is that sin is making everything about me. Sin is simply making everything about me. Um, this weekend, I had the opportunity, wonderful opportunity to go up with a group of students to Whistler, BC. And something that I'd been excited about for a long time, uh, this, this, uh, this summer, actually, I had made arrangements for this big, this big house at, at Whistler for college weekend and, and, you know, to be able to go up there with a group of students and do some skiing, play together. I was really excited about it. As we're cruising up there on Friday night, uh, just before we get into Whistler, one of the, the cars that was ahead of me of students, some of you know George Lepke, he calls and says, hey, do we have this place for ourselves because there's another six cars here? I said, yeah, we do. Long story short, 
I, in my diligence, had, uh, had reserved this house for the dates of Martin Luther King weekend 2016. Okay, which is great, but there's one problem. It's 2017. That when I had made these dates and asked the guy if it was available, I had, I had asked him about, I was looking at a 2016 calendar. So it's Whistler, and it's college weekend, and it's 11 o'clock at night. And guess how many places are available? Okay, not too many. And I'll tell you that as I learned of this mistake, the first thing that went through my head was, was how is this not my fault? What am, what am I going to do to protect my butt? What am I going to do to somehow make me look blameless? Honest to goodness, it was my natural reaction was that in something that was 100% my mistake, the first thing I tried to do was, was blame somebody else. That's an example of, of this, this type of sin, of making everything about me. Now, in our lives, we could probably do an evaluation of where do we spend time managing our our own image, managing the way that people see us. And I would invite you to, to think about how, how, do I, how do I manage this? Where do I spend a ton of time thinking about me and what's behind that? Why? Now, the in-speaking team helped me, helped me out with this. There's a big tension here because on the one hand, if sin is making everything about me and pride is thinking too much about myself, if I were to ask a group of college students, you know, do you want to be seen as prideful? Do you want to be seen as arrogant? A hundred percent of you would say no. But the thing that, that I understand that college students do want is to come off as confident, to come off as self-confident. So where's the tension here? Where's the line between, between pride, maybe even arrogance, and a, a healthy sense of confidence? Let me see if I can get into this a little bit, but I think it actually requires the rest of the series to, to gain a better understanding of this. Um, a couple of examples. Um, in three weeks, I think I'll do my 88th wedding, that one of the things that... that as is kind of a privilege of being a college pastor is that, you know, many of you, as you finish your time in college, you meet somebody, you fall in love, and then you come back a couple years later and say, hey, church, we do my wedding? And, you know, and honestly, it's a great privilege for me. I love it. Um, and, and honestly, I take a great deal of pride in being able to stand in front of you and say, uh, in these 87 weddings that I've done, all 87 couples are still together, okay? Now, now, part of me wants to take a whole bunch of credit for it, and in my better moments, I'm here to tell you I deserve zero credit for it. <laughs> it's the spirit. It, it's incredible people that I, I believe are really uh, seeking to be sensitive to God's presence in their life and are responding to that. So that's, that's something where, as I say that, I'm making about it me, right? Yet there's this confidence like, yeah, I want to do your wedding. I want to be alongside you. Uh, but at the moment that I make it about me and my perfect record of weddings, 
um, I'm getting I'm getting it wrong, right? That what I want to be about is you know are these couples and doing even this much, doing what I can to help nurture them into a healthy marriage. Sticking with that theme, this was years ago. I did this uh, did this wedding at the. It was a beautiful venue, and as we're getting ready for the wedding, the you just see the clouds coming in and, you know, you're going, this is not good. Outdoor wedding. And, you know, the, the wedding coordinator had said that the site director, hey, if, you know, if there's a rain, this is plan B. And, and uh, you know, as, as the clouds are rolling in, I go, I say, hey, you know, before we even get this started, we should probably begin to execute on plan B. And, and she looks at me and she goes, well, there isn't a plan B. And I said, well, I thought you said there is a plan B. She's like, well, really, you know, and she had done, I, you know, I mean, I, I want to say she had told me that she'd done 300 weddings in this, in this place. And she says, well, I've done 300 weddings here and never once has it rained. I said, okay, well, what's, what's plan B? And, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Some of you aren't going to like this, but she said, well, my plan B is always to pray that it, it wouldn't rain. Well, it starts raining and hard. I mean, hard, like ruin the bride's dress type of hard. And I, I was upset and I really loved this couple and I was being a little bit snarky. And this was out kind of in the country and there was, you know, there's farms around. And I said, well, what about the farmer next door that's praying for rain for his crops? Okay. Now, my critique of this woman's plan B of prayer is that it only thought about her. It was only about making her thing work. And that's why I sometimes get comfortable with uncomfortable with this kind of individualized prayer that comes at the cost of somebody else. You see what I'm saying? There, so the question becomes, what is our confidence in? Is my confidence in my ability to somehow raise up couples so that they don't get divorced? Well, I'll tell you what, that's going to fall apart. That isn't a good confidence to have. In this woman's confidence to say the right prayer so that it doesn't rain on the wedding, that's a bad thing to have confidence in. God is a great thing to have confidence in. And so I think part of what it means in our discipleship journey to grow in confidence is to find confidence in the one who is unchanging and in the confidence who has our backs but who also has the backs of our neighbors and the ones next to us and the farmer next door. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Stay tuned, because my guess is that we'll need to come back to that throughout this series. Okay, let's move on. The definition of humility then, C.S. Lewis says it like this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking highly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself. Honestly, this is one of the best things I think about short-term mission. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of these guys that can tend to be, uh, can, can be pretty, pretty critical, um, primarily of myself. And you know, can, can tend to, to just kind of battle those, those voices in my head and conflicting emotions. And 
you know, there have been times where when I'm on our trip to the Dominican Republic um, at this, on spring break, that we'll, I'll be hanging out with a group of students after a day of being in villages and playing baseball and making new relationships, and we'll get to the end of the day, and I'll have this moment of going, you know, I actually feel kind of fantastic. I actually feel kind of great about myself. And when I think about what, what, what happened, all of a sudden I realize it's because I spent the day not thinking about myself. Now, the problem with this definition from Lewis is that for me, it is much like a mission trip high or much like a camp high. For whatever reason, I know in my life, I have been completely unable to sustain this sense of not thinking about myself. I like thinking about myself less, but that's why I point us to um, a definition from Dallas Willard who says, he, he just revises it. It's that humility is not thinking too highly of yourself. It's thinking accurately of yourself. It's thinking accurately of yourself. Now, this is where I go back to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 3, of saying, think of yourself with sober judgment. In a lot of ways, that's exact. This is just Dallas Willard's translation of that, of what does it mean for us to think accurately of ourselves. So that leads us to this goal. Um, individually and as a community. But my hope is that we would aspire to be exactly what God has in mind for us to be, no more and no less. I invited the seniors to continue uh, into our internship program. And one of the things that, that when people come in to interview with us, for our internships that I always pray for them in every single interview is God help us to see this person for exactly who they are, no more, no less. Because when we're going to hire a teammate, when we're going to spend a year working together in that moment, I want to see that person for exactly who they are, that we might assign tasks and put them in a team and, and figure out how, how this person is going to thrive exactly as God made them, no more, no less. That's humility. So how do we do this? How do we practice this? What might be a few things that we can do, that we can keep in mind that will help us develop this type of humility? Three things. First is this. The first is simply to recognize our need. I have three sons, the youngest being a two-year-old. Some of you may know that the sign language for help is, uh, is, is a, a, a fist with a thumb up in a hand and you lift it up and that's, that's help. Well, now Wallace, our two-year-old, he'll say, help, help. Okay. And, and he'll do this. And it's this image, not unlike this, this little person of, of me going, you know, uh, what Wallace reminds me is that this is how I want to come to God. The reality is that I am a man in need. And in the same way that that Wallace so easily will run with either his arms up or, or going, help. Um, he is confessing his vulnerability and showing that he is one in need. Uh, though we, our speech might be clearer, we might be a little bit stronger, the reality is that we are still people in need. How can we confess that need to ourselves and to each other? 
What might be some things that in the coming week you can ask help for? What is it that you would love to be able to go to God and say, help? Maybe you need to go to a friend and just say, I need, I need help. It's humility. It's who we are, no more, no less. The second is this, to recognize our judgment. Okay, um, I've been, I've been speaking for a while here, so I want you all to stand up real quick, get a stretch in here. We're getting on towards midterms, right? Stand up, okay? Recognize we have judged. Get a, get a bit of a stretch in, okay? Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Um, as you're able, uh, would you kneel? Would you get on your knees? Now, I want you to notice what just happened to this room. That it was up here, and now it's down here. And it is symbolic of the type of, of individuals and the type of community that I hope we would be. That would take a posture of a servant. When Jesus talks about uh, those who want to become great shall become the least. If you want to become great, you will have to be a servant. You know, it, when Jesus would tell stories about washing feet, this is the posture that somebody would take to wash feet. It is a posture of vulnerability. It is a posture of repentance. And so while we are on our knees, I actually want to invite you to take a second to think about ways that you have been judgmental, where you have tried to actually assert your superiority in the same way that I do with the person that cuts me off. Where have you been judgmental? Where have you tried to put yourself above? And on a week where we celebrate the extraordinary life of Martin Luther King, I want to invite you to be honest about the ways that you have judged people from who look different than you do, from dif different ethnicities. Indeed, ways that you and that we have been racist. Take a moment to confess the ways that you have been judgmental. And if you don't know what to say, it simply starts with saying, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for the ways that I have judged others, for the ways that I've made it all about me. It's a starting point. It's a posture that can sometimes be uncomfortable and inconvenient. And I just want to tell you, you look, you look beautiful as a group of people that are saying, I want to get lower. I don't need to assert my authority. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Make yourselves comfortable. For those of you that are new to this community, uh, to the degree that was uncomfortable, I want to say I'm sorry. Uh, but I also want you to see that that uh, it is our hope that those who follow Jesus would confess uh, the ways that we have hurt people, the ways that we have been judgmental.
because uh, so often we are seen as just that. And we don't want to be. We want to we repent. We want to change of that. The last thing before we come to this table is we practice this humility. It would be to put someone in line before you. That's at least the metaphor I want to use, okay? That person that is trying to merge in in that place on the Madison merge there on I-5 and I-90 that you don't want to let in, let them in. That woman and her family in the airport terminal uh, that to stay together as a family, they need your aisle seat, and it puts you in the middle. What does it mean to put that person in front of you? That person in the grocery store who is just in a mad dash to get in and get out with a crying child and clearly uh, trouble in their day. Um, The type of person that does that is not somebody that thinks lowly of themselves. The type of person that does that is somebody who is assured that they are valued. And the type of person that does that is the person that knows that that person has every bit as much value as I do, as you do. And to the degree that you aren't experiencing God's grace and you aren't experiencing God's love, go and put somebody else in line in front of you and see how that makes you feel. I'm almost, I'm almost willing to guarantee it'll be the best part of your day. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? How will you put others first? How will you put others first in line? At this table, Jesus reminds us that he has put us first, that he has said, go ahead. You don't have to be broken. I will do that for you. For it was on the night that he was betrayed, he was sitting with his friends, that he took a loaf and he broke it and he gave it for all who were gathered to eat and saying, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, this is the new covenant of my blood shed for you and for all people. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim that Jesus has died for you, that he's put you first in line, and that we might respond by saying, yes, that's for me, and I'm going to do my, the best of my life to do that for others. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and for giving yourself to us. We ask that you would give us the courage to put others first, to see ourselves accurately, to know our needs, and to daily confess our judgment. Thank you that you have gone before us, that you are with us, and that you will go behind us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.